0: You're listening to a podcast from Westwind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, good morning. You know, for those of you who are guests and wondering, wow, what was that all about? We are in the middle of a succession plan for uh, the next lead pastor. And what that means is I have the privilege to partner with our elders and lead the way uh, with them as a team. And so we are thinking in terms of the next four to six months to prayerfully believe that God will accomplish that. But... Thankful so much for our elders, the unity we have, the support, the togetherness. I wanna say too about our elders' wives, what a blessing to know just in the past few weeks, gathering together for fellowship, sharing their stories, praying together, really becoming um, all that we could dream of for elders' wives, so to our wives, thank you for that as well. So we want to encourage you. A succession plan is the ideal way to pass the baton from one pastor to another. And so, again, there's a fair amount of guests this morning. Uh, Ellen and I are uh, called to overseas missions. We uh, look to uh, serving in Africa full time, uh, Ethiopia in particular. So we are so thankful for a church that believes in that succession and trusting God for a great future. So, if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to uh, 1 Thessalonians 2. And again, as John said, uh, one of the distinctives of uh, Westwind is we're just Bible-focused. And, you know, the gift that we have, Genesis to Revelation, the Word of God... Uh, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We believe a book study, you know, verse by verse, chapter by chapter is is the way to teach God's Word. So the series title, When God Builds a Church, we're going to spend two weeks talking about disappointment with God. And so, Philip Yancey, many of you know that name, uh, quite an author over the past decades, he wrote a book with that title, and I thought, well, I'm gonna play off of it. But what was real interesting is I researched a little bit on Yancey's book. When he proposed that title to the publisher, how do you think they responded? Thumbs up, thumbs middle, or thumbs down? It was double thumbs down, and here's why. They're like, Phil, That's not a very appealing title, it's not winsome, it's not gonna welcome book sales, we're here to sell books. Well, I was proud of Yancey, reading his backstory, he pushed back, why? Let me show you a book that he published before that, very similar but different, Where Is God When It Hurts? Great question, right? But when that book came out, before Disappointment with God, guess what happened? He was flooded with responses from people about pain, suffering, trials, issues of life. And so he made notes, and he put categories, and basically, after the flood of emails from Where's God When It Hurts, he asked three questions in Disappointment with God and wrote about them. I highly recommend that book. It's not an easy read. It ain't going to give us vain platitudes. It's not going to answer every question you have about pain, suffering, evil, all that. But I'll tell you one thing, he'll take you to the word of God. Now, sometimes, and I don't think this is true of Westwind because it's a Bible church. Sometimes people think it's unchristian maybe to have disappointments with God. Please, if that's even a remote thought, put that on a shelf. You know why? It's everywhere in scripture. Can I highlight a few things? Job, of course, pretty easy. Job 10:8. Job says this. He uses an artisan term, a potter's turn. He says, "God, you formed me out of clay, right? Genesis 2. "Now you're going to crush me." Do you see any disappointment in, in that, that sentiment towards God? Jump to the New Testament. Uh, Mary and Martha sisters brother lazarus remember lazarus dies and here's what martha says to jesus john 11:21, 21 lord if you had been here my brother wouldn't have died i see disappointment in that martha had expectations as we all do of god But the problem sometimes with our expectations is God has a grander approach to your life and mine. And he had something wonderful to accomplish with Mary and Martha by showing up, quote-unquote, late. Three days later, he comes. Lazarus is in the tomb. Remember the story? Lazarus, come forth. Can you imagine a dead man getting up and walking around? Quite a remarkable thing. And people stood in awe. Some didn't believe, but he was testifying as to who he was. He's the son of God who could raise people from the grave. There's grander purposes in our pain, in our suffering, in our disappointment with God. Now, if you're still not convinced, let me take you to Calvary. The son of God himself cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I know there's theological depth in that statement, and I don't want to minimize all that is in that thing, but just that one statement, Jesus, the Son of God, saying, I feel forsaken. Not Father, God. He was disappointed. There was something going on in his soul, a stirring that, that caused him to express those sentiments. And so, I believe disappointment with God is this real and a regular occurrence in many people's lives? In fact, I have a hunch this morning, some of you are sitting here disappointed. Can I throw my hat in a ring? There's all kinds of disappointments. And so it's a safe thing to be disappointed with God. Why? Because He can handle it. He cares, He sees, He knows your needs. So can I encourage you this morning? Relax and express your disappointment. Maybe that God didn't answer your prayer the way you thought he should. Or heal a loved one. Or take away a particular hurt. Maybe a dream died. Maybe a relationship that you wanted restored is still fractured. And the list goes on and on. And so, folks, for the next two weeks, because I read the Bible at face value before I study it. I read it from just, what's it like to be in Paul's shoes? What's it like to be in the church at Thessalonica? What do these words really mean? And at face value, I see some disappointment, yes, even in the Apostle Paul. So two weeks on this topic. Now, I hope you have your Connect card, because here's the encouragement, folks. You can come back to this when the disappointment knocks on your door, but I want to encourage you today. I don't think there's a week that goes by in my life that I'm not in some sort of encouragement mode of supporting people in their disappointments. I told you before, and it still happens, almost every day I talk to my mom, who's 87 years old, And probably in that 30-minute conversation every day, there's at least one disappointment. And we dress it, and we pray through it, and she's working through that as she prepares for eternity. So, over the years, I've seen people handle disappointments with God many ways, but I want to give you four to consider this morning, all right? Number one, some people blame God. And again, I'm not trying to be hard on people. I know life is tough, okay? But... The former and late physicist Stephen Hawking said this, 9-11 proves there's no God. Is that true? Is what happened in Florida a testimony against God? It's tragic, folks. Dozens of lives are lost. Great calamity. And I know it's hard to put the pieces of the puzzle together today, especially if you have loved ones or families or people that you're concerned for down there. But we have to wrestle through it. And I don't believe, biblically, it uh, puts God on a shelf and says, because there's calamity, uh, he doesn't exist. Now, I'll tell you, Going all the way back to the Old Testament, some would suggest Job is the first book written in the Bible, the great patriarch. Here's what happened in his calamity. His, his wife came to him and said, hey, Job, this is too tough. This is too hard. You can't believe in a God like this. And here's what she says, curse God and die. Those are hard words. But you can empathize with Job's wife He watched a lot, she watched a lot happen. Ten children lost their lives. Her husband was smitten with disease and boils. There was great calamity. I can imagine I could say that. I hope I would repent of it. But fortunately, Job had enough spiritual wherewithal, relationship with God. Look what he says. He says, you speak as a foolish woman speaks. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? Throughout all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Wow. I mean, to his credit, right? Recalibrating, working through the tension. God, where are you when it hurts? Secondly, some people blame faith. And this one really saddens me. There's a movement within Christendom. I've come across it too much, especially overseas. It's name it and claim it, right? And somehow that it's not God's will that you suffer any kind of calamity in life, whether it be physical pain, emotional, psychological. And the reality is the Bible doesn't even suggest that remotely. So let's dispel it, okay? I had a dear friend in Virginia, dear, dear friend. His daughter was terminally ill, and he went from one faith healer to another. Now, he had a good heart, godly man, but he was desperate for help. And when she went to be with the Lord, he was devastated. And we were in a discipleship group. We walked through that together and and the complexities of that. Don't buy into the lie. We could give you many, many illustrations, but one comes from the life of the Apostle Paul. If you're familiar with 2 Corinthians 12, what Paul does there is he recounts a lot of pain and suffering. And then he talks about having a thorn in the flesh. We're not sure what the thorn in the flesh is. Maybe an eye uh, issue, maybe a speech impediment, maybe something physical, arthritis. We don't know, but it seemed to, in Paul's mind, detract from his global mission effort. But you know what he learned? His thorn in the flesh was a gift. And friends, I'm not wishing the thorn in the flesh on me or you. But... When God allocates that for a greater good so Paul's strength would become weakness so that God's strength would be made great in his weakness. That's what Paul learned. That's remarkable truth. You and I can't figure that out. We can't. We can't orchestrate it. And yet, if we have that thorn in the flesh, let's lean in. Let's see what God wants to do with it. Sadly, some people blame sin. And folks, we know this. Sin does have consequences, right? So it's very clear you reap what you sow. So we're not dispelling the idea that we could just sin and it's all good. No. But sin is not the answer to every problem in life. Let me show this to you. John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 uh, says jesus was passing by he saw a man blind from birth his disciples questioned him rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind that was the world view of the day it truly was singularly categorical you reap what you sow if you sin guess what you're in trouble If you live like Job, blamelessly and righteously, all things are good. Well, it certainly wasn't true in Job's life, right? He's called righteous, he's called blameless, and yet he faced great calamity. And so you know what Jesus does? He gives a bigger picture, a clearer reality that something marvelous is going on in our midst. And the marvelous thing is God's glory is going to be manifest through Jesus Christ when this blind man is able to see. And if you know the rest of John chapter 9, what happens? He says, he's being uh, kind of picked on and inquired, how did this happen? He says, all I know is I was once blind, now I see, and I'm a happy camper. That's what he learned And yet it pointed to Jesus in the miraculous. What a beautiful thing. And so please, please, don't take complex issues and put them into nice, neat categories. Life is not that simplistic. It's not that basic. It is more complex than we realize. And the pulpit-pounding preachers that say, oh, this calamity is due because of this sin please don't listen to that stuff. We're not God. We don't sit on the throne. There's more going on than meets the eye, folks. God is sovereign. He's holy, and he's working out his will, and as we're going to see, uses pain and suffering, disappointment to accomplish it. Now, lastly, before we get to our text, some people deny disappointment with God. And again, I'm not here to pick on anyone that's not my heart this morning but folks what it means is we haven't learned to grieve well and there's a need to grieve there is i had a dear dear friend who lost his wife to cancer many years ago and during the memorial service he got up and he he gave words that were very kind and very gracious but he said this he says i am here for you and i sat there a little bit stunned And as we talked days and weeks after, I just gently had to nurture his spirit to say, you know what, it's now time for the body of Christ to be here for you and your family. He needed to learn to grieve, to suffer well, to say this is painful and hard. I just lost my wife with two teenage daughters. One of the great works that has come out uh, in the past decade or so is by Pete Scazzaro. and the book is titled "Emotionally Healthy spirituality we 'll talk a little bit more about it next week, and he has helped countless thousands understand the value and the process of grieving well, and there 's many other books on that literature. Ecclesiastes three, one through four. listen to this, folks there 's a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. Yes, there's a time to weep. We had life group last week, and uh, Ellen facilitated, and we just had a really special time as a, a life group together, and Audings are hosting us, and the young couple with the old folks, we love it. But we showed a video clip on a gentleman named Nick Wojcik. If you're not familiar with that name, he was born without arms or legs. He was born a quadriplegic. He came to faith in Christ at age fifteen and all oh, his story is marvelous. And we watched about five minutes of his backstory and how he pushed through and how John 9 ministered to him. He came to genuine faith in Christ. And I don't know what happened to me as I watched this, I just there was just so much emotion. So much built up, I think, inside. I just wept there at Life Group. It's not comfortable for a man to, to be crying in the midst. Our life group was like, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> Ellen was like, I see it all the time. By the way, I am a feeler, so I can watch movies that have an emotional side. I'll be sitting there, just tears. My daughter's like, my boys are like, what's your problem, Dad? I'm a feeler. All right. So to our text this morning, um, let's do it differently. Let's learn to respond to disappointment, which includes pain, trial, suffering, persecution in a biblical way. And that's what we're going to dedicate the next two weeks to. So please stand with me. First Thessalonians 2, we're going to focus just on verses 17 through 20. And what I'm going to try to do this morning is go 50,000 feet, and then next week we're going to unpack it a little bit more. So these two talks are in tandem, all right? Uh, 1 Thessalonians two seventeen through 20. But as for me, brothers, after we were forced to leave you for a short time, in person, not in heart, remember, three weeks in Thessalonica, he was booted out, we greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. Do you see the disappointment? The church was planted. He only had three weeks there. He wanted to return as the pastor, the nurturer, the discipler, the mentor, and he couldn't get there. Time and again, he purposed to come back and help the church, to nurture the church, but Satan hindered us. And then he closes out almost like the Psalms do. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. There is a recalibration in that statement. We'll talk about it. Please be seated. So the blessing is this. You have your Connect card. Each one of us can respond properly to our disappointments with God by applying various truths from God's word. And so this morning, I want to share with you Three truths. Truth number one, Christian suffering is universal and God-ordained. Now, this might be a hard pill to swallow, but it's just a biblical fact. Two things, it's universal. In other ones, no one here this morning is exempt. The second one's a little bit more uh, complex to embrace. It's God-ordained. So let me show you that. Look at verses 17 and 18. But as for us, brothers... After we were forced to leave you, and the word there is, after we orphaned you, that's what Paul is feeling right now, for a short time in person, not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Last week, we looked at a few, or two weeks ago, we looked at a few metaphors from the Apostle Paul. He says he came as a nursing mother. Remember that? A nursing mother does what? Cares, nurtures, supports, takes care of the infant. Then he came as a father, remember? We talked about his tutelage, the father in the ancient world, mentoring, training, equipping. Paul believed that was his role for the church. What's the problem here? There are only three weeks in Christ... The team got booted out. He's wondering did the gospel seed get planted, watered, and will it bear fruit? Paul is agonizing about the spiritual health of this church plant, if you will. Just imagine, if you're familiar with church planning, a pastor investing three weeks in the Waukee area and then heading back, you know, to Minnesota, 300 miles away and not see in his congregation what's going to happen in the congregation that is the question mark it's a burden and he's overwhelmed thinking it through paul writes to these christians as a father torn away from the children he loves Uh, for those of you can remember the times where you've left your little ones to babysitters do you remember that it's just a wonderment, should I call, how they doing, you know, can we FaceTime? It's just a weird feeling, right? There's a little bit of going on. That's what's going on here with Paul. Let me give you a picture from my life, Ellen's life. 2007, we planted a church in Sunja, Mali, West Africa. Here's the group that uh, came to faith in Christ uh, those two weeks and were baptized, You know what felt very, not only discouraging and depressing, but also a sense of, this ain't right. How do you plan a church where it's 99% Muslim, there's no church, no Bible, no Jesus, no pastor, no nothing to follow up and, and leave for a number of months? It felt like we left our kids orphaned. That's what Paul is agonizing about. And Friends, if we go to 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, 28. Again, in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about his pain, suffering, hardship, trial. He talks about what God did through that, through his uh, weakness, he became strong in God. But here's what he says after he recounts all of his pain, trials, and suffering... He says this, not to mention other things, there is the daily pressure on me, my care for all the churches. Sometimes we don't think as Paul the pastor. He's the hard-charging missionary, let's take another hill. This guy cared deeply for the church of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you this morning. We've had some beautiful gifts over the past uh, few months And one of the gifts God has given uh, us is just the togetherness we are experiencing as an elders board, and then what we're seeing with the wives coming together for prayer. What a gift that is. You know why that gift exists? Because these shepherds care for this church. They love this church. They believe in this church. They believe in the future of this church. And that's why three and a half hours they would invest, yes, on Tuesday night, from six To 9.30, I was thinking, Connor, can I just stay in the guest room? Because I'm pretty much done at 9. Then you got to drive home, right? Um, But that's the heart of these shepherds. There's a real care, a real nurture going on. Now, this whole idea of we're destined for it, let me show you, and we're going to pick up this uh, next week. If you have your Bibles, look at 1 Thessalonians 3, 2 through 3. So what Paul does is, because he cares, he says, I'm going to give you one of our core teammates. I'm going to give you the right-hand guy. His name is Timothy. So we sent Timothy, who was our brother and God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. We'll pick up on that a lot more next week. So that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Do you see what Paul's heart is? He's concerned that the persecution, the suffering, the disappointments, the pain could tilt their faith, destroy their faith, as Jesus said in Matthew 13. It can do that, folks. But then he says this, you know quite well that we were destined for them. Think through that statement just for a moment. Yeah, it might not sell a lot of books, but it's theologically honest and absolutely true. And you know what? Empirically, everyone here has a story that reflects that reality. And so we lean into it. And we say, God, we yield, we surrender because you're doing something way beyond what I could ever imagine or think. John 9 is such a beautiful proof text. Nick Wojcik, a little, little guy who's born without arms, without legs, and now he's used internationally for the kingdom and glory of God because he leaned into... That's good. Uh, he leaned into his trials. Here. want to watch? Ron, thanks, buddy. It's done that before. How does it do that? All right. Yes yeah, it is always listening, isn't it? Good. Let him proclaim this truth. All right. go. Give me that thing back here if it's listening. Huh? Afterwards. Afterwards thanks, Ron. All right. Truth number two, we got a cruise. Christian suffering is unique and God-directed. And folks we really just have to try to create as much clarity as possible. Why do I say unique? Your trial is different than my trial. Your pain and your suffering is different from the person next to you. Would you agree with that? That's just life, but that's the biblical life. Therefore, we do the one another's. We encourage, we sympathize, we pray, we come alongside one another, but it's God-directed. So let me clarify that. Look at verse 18. Verse 18. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but who hindered us? Satan. Now again, we live in a culture today that just denies the reality of Satan and evil and even sin. Uh, I think it's foolish. G.K. Chesterton, the great Catholic theologian, said this, there's only one Christian doctrine that we could empirically prove. thats a doctrine of sin, the doctrine of evil. Why? It's everywhere and it's in here. Chesterton responded to an article. What's wrong with this world? If you responded to something like that in the newspaper, what would you say? He, he said two words. I am. He saw the sin in his own heart. Instead of pointing the finger, he knew there was something wrong on this side of heaven. Well, another thing that's wrong is Satan. He's real. He's not a myth And there's spiritual warfare that you and I in Christ are going to encounter pretty regularly. Let me show that to you. 1 Peter 5. Peter writes, be serious. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, how? From your faith, knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Do you remember what Jesus said? Hey, Peter. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat but I prayed for you when you return Peter strengthen your brothers Satan had to ask that's why I say it's God directed same thing in the book of Job Satan's real but he's on a leash I promise you this he can only go so far we don't have to fear him why resist him firm in your faith that's the great hope So there's a huge application here when it comes to pain and suffering trials, and it's this. Paul's situation with the Thessalonian church teaches us this great truth, please don't miss it, that not everything in life works out wonderfully if you are in the will of God. I want you to think through that for a moment, folks. Because sometimes we think our pain, our trial, our suffering is somehow related to our sin or being out of the will of God. It can be just the opposite. Paul was called to plant churches. He's with his colleague Silas, thrown into prison, flogged, almost left dead in Lystra. He was in the will of God, and yet he's suffering. And you can multiply that out through all of Scripture. One of my favorite guys is Jeremiah. Read this story. Jeremiah was the lonely leader. You know why? He preached repentance nine times. Turn, repent. Israel said no, and judgment came, Babylon 586. But guess what? The spiritual leaders hated Jeremiah. His family turned on him. When he went back to his own hometown, Anathoth, Nobody accepted him. They threw him in a pit. They wanted him dead like Joseph. Talk about a tough calling. Was he in the will of God, you tell me? He was, guys, and it was hard. So don't confuse pain, trials, suffering, shortcomings with somehow being out of the will of God. You need discernment. When you sin, you sin. Confess your sin. You forsake your sin. Thank God for his forgiveness. But when you're doing the will of God and it hurts Jesus said, you know, suffering for righteousness' sake will be rewarded. And so I want to encourage you. Whatever you experience, James chapter 1, is it possible to find joy in it? Count it all joy. Is it possible? I know this in my own life, joy is a choice. Joy is an absolute choice. Um... I told the story before, but it's worth telling again. A number of years ago, I was just moping, talking to my mom. I was driving down the road from Minnesota to Chicago, and I said, Mom, I'm just choosing to be grumpy. And uh, it's just beautiful. She was about 85 at the time, came out of a very serious accident. She rebuked me in the name of Jesus. Choose joy, son, just like your mom did in the accident. It was a great reminder. Five years ago that happened and mom has grown and she's flourishing. She chose Jesus. She chose joy. Finally, truth number three, Christian suffering is useful and God-glorifying. Please don't miss this. There, this is almost Psalm-like. The psalmist is therapeutic. He's struggling. He's crying out, Lord, help, where are you? It's like dismal. These dark days, what the heck? And then there's a recalibration. That seems to be how Paul lands the plane here. Look at verses 19 and 20. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at its coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. You know what he does? He asks a question. He's kind of preaching to himself. How do I get through this? How do I deal with these disappointments? Boom, spiritual recalibration. What does he say? Who's our joy? You are. Who's our hope? You are. Who is going to be celebrated when Jesus Christ returns? You are. So he's pointing to the church. And he's saying, I have hope. You know why I have hope? Because I believe there's continuity. I believe you're a genuine church. I believe you're a model church. You know why he has joy? Because he's choosing it. His circumstances were not joyful. He chooses joy. But folks, the kicker in this passage is this. It's the return of Jesus Christ. Who's our crown? It's you. You see, when Jesus Christ comes back, it's called the second coming of Christ. We will tackle that topic in a few weeks. It's going to be beautiful. In all five chapters, it's addressed in 1 Thessalonians. When Jesus Christ comes back, there's some great things that are going to happen, right? Hopefully one, Matthew 25, 21, there's rewards. That's what the crown is. The crown is a Stephanus crown that an emperor would give uh, someone in an arena, gladiators, athletes, and so forth. So there's coming a day, just imagine, standing before the Lord, he puts on the Stephanus crown, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, you ministered to the Thessalonians. Three weeks, the gospel took root. You pastored them, you nurtured them, you shared your life, you shared your heart, you gave your all. Here's your joy, here's your hope. Here's your crown. Friends, that's the picture. So can I encourage you this morning? Paul's reward had nothing to do with finances, the Dow Jones, the 401k. It had nothing to do with fame, popularity. Paul's ultimate, ultimate reward was who? Seeing believers come to faith in Christ and grow in the knowledge of God and bear much fruit. For God's glory. What's true of Paul is true of you and me. Just investing in one person, seeing their life flourish for the kingdom and glory of God, one day I will stand and say, Wow, there's a person, my hope, my joy, my crown. There's another person, my hope, my joy, my crown. That's a gift, folks, and that's something worth living for. Would you agree? What a beautiful thing. And so, in closing, the Bible is clear. There are no easy answers to our disappointments with God. I'm not an easy answer guy. This is complex. This is hard. This takes soul searching and prayer. But get into the word as Yancey encouraged. Get into the word as we did this morning. And let God speak grace and truth into your life. And so we have a choice. Would you agree? And the choice is this. To remain faithful faithful or not. That's our choice. Paul chose joy. He chose hope. He chose eternity. Eternity's coming. Compare eternity to this brief moment in history. Your life, 70, 80 years at best. Here one minute, gone the next. A vapor. It's a choice. And that's the cue to the worship team to come on up. Amy was sitting on her seat. I think that was the word. That's just a side note between us. Go, Joe. You guys, who cares, right? <clears throat> so can I, can I encourage you for this thought as, as they prepare to lead us in worship? Your disappointment is not your destination. Yeah. Think it through. There's gonna be disappointments and maybe you're sitting on many right now. It's not your destination. You get to choose your destination. How? Leaning in as Paul did. Coming to a theological worldview, you know what? God destined this in a very unique way in our life to do what? Form Christ in you. And folks, that doesn't mean I don't sympathize with your pain, your hardship, your hurt. Please, please don't miss that. We pastor here at Westwind. But we have to embrace truth. And the truth is God is working, right? Even in the most disappointing circumstances. Let's stand, let's pray together.